Hello everybody, this is the new beginning or new season, you could say, of the English-speaking Miesenroth.com podcast on FC Bayern München or FC Bayern Munich. I'm Daniel and these are Mark and Maurice. Hello. Hi guys, this is Maurice speaking and we're really glad to have you back for the big relaunch of our Miesen Road podcast. Yes, yeah, Mark. Yeah, I'm excited. Fun to get back at this and hopefully it's good. You might still remember these two voices because they were previously on the podcast many times with Susie back when it was still going. But I'm definitely a new voice. You never heard me. And yeah, this is the new podcast. Last time there was a podcast, actually. It's been a hot two years, over two years. The last thing that people spoke about, that you spoke about, I think it was you, Mark and Susie, was the last Bundesliga match of Jupp Heynckes against, ah, yes. against Stuttgart. The painful game where Bayern... <laughs> Was slaughtered 1-4, but still Won hold the up league. the <laughs> league title. And yeah, it was a pretty yeah. sad, sad I affair. I think there's a fair amount of uh, bashing of Niko Kovac already in that lot too, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that seems, like, that seems like ages ago. I mean, so much stuff has <laughs> happened in between. I can, I can hardly believe that it's just been two years. Um, we've come a long ways ever since. So yeah, no, I... Uh, I think it'll be exciting to get out and start the podcast again, get this going. And yeah, luckily we hopefully never have to talk about something like this 1-4 loss against Stuttgart again on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I do think it's kind of funny because in the meantime, Stuttgart was relegated, was promoted. Bayern got Kovac, fired Kovac, lost in Champions League, won the Champions League. Pretty exciting years. It's been a roller coaster. Yeah, total roller coaster. <laughs> And probably ever since, Jupp Heynckes has also like, deleted Ulrich's <laughs> number off his phone. <laughs> no, he just put it on block. <laughs> probably, yeah. So originally, of course, we wanted to launch this podcast at the beginning of the season or right before the season. But we had some technical difficulties. And that's why we now have this kind of strange start in the middle of October, where the first few games were already played. And we already won two titles, actually. But the good thing is we don't have to speculate on the transfer market and on potential signings that Bayern will be doing, could still do, because the transfer market is actually over now. And Bayern signed very many players. The majority of them were signed on the last on the last two days, actually. So, so we want to know to speak about all these new signings. Sure, let's do it. Where do we start? <laughs> Probably should start at the very beginning, which is actually not at the end of this window, but at the start of the window when we signed Leroy Sané and Tanguy Nianzu, and also Alexander Nübel, but that's maybe a different topic for a different time. <laughs> <laughs> that might, like the, the whole Nubel thing might actually take up an entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, seriously. There's a lot to unpack on that issue. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll avoid that one. So how about Sané? I mean, yep, what a what a great player to sign. I mean, it had been in the making for quite a while. It was the on and off love story of Brazzo and Sané all throughout last summer already. And then obviously, as everybody knows, Sané got injured. We decided not to pursue a transfer. Instead, ended up getting Coutinho on a one-year loan. And then starting this spring, when Sané got back from his injury, there were new rumors on him joining Bayern and... I don't actually know when they uh, when they like announced his signing, 
like in July, like before the Champions League. I don't, I don't actually remember. Yeah, it was before the Champions League. I it think, was like almost right after the Bundesliga season, I think. Sorry. I think it might be before the DFB Pokal even, the final. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that, that, actually, that actually makes sense because he was, he was on the practice squad while the team flew out to Lisbon. So, yeah, no, that makes mm. sense. No, but let's get, to the, let's get down to the player, Leroy Sané. We signed him for, like, I think, like 45 to like 50 million euros, which is a huge discount compared to what we would have been paying him last summer, which, like, people were speculating about, like, 100 million euro price tags. So we got him at a discount, obviously because he's injured and because of like this little thing known as Corona that has kind of happened to the world. <laughs> really? But um, we, yeah, no, that is also news. Like that also happened in the last two years. <laughs> but no, we we get a we get a great player, and I think still, despite the injury concerns and despite the concern on whether we'll he'll actually get back to his pre-injury form, I think a lot of the stuff is still true from yeah from like last summer we get like probably one of the gem players of this generation of german players he certainly is yeah different from most of those players as he has yeah like really great skills in direct take on situations he's really good with the ball but he also has yeah he's also really deadly in front of the goal and yeah no i i i'm like a really really big fan of Sané and I mean I almost went to the store immediately and got me one of those Sané shirts with a number 10 on it because I was I was so excited like it was one of the transfers that got me most excited I don't know how you feel about that yeah I mean I personally I think it's a great signing I I'm always a little apprehensive at times of big name players because there's so much hype there's so much expectation when they come in and you know, that Sch that Schalke match was a good first match for him to, you know, kind of show what he's got, if you know what I mean. He's, uh, it kind of, the way that the front looked with those guys, and of course part of that's just down to how bad Schalke was and possibly just is, but they the way they moved, the understanding that the, you know, four attackers had especially, it was just incredible to watch, and so... I feel like if he can stay healthy with the other options that we have in attack, he he kind of completes that team and really makes up a huge deficit that we had the last three or four years, really, on the wings. I mean, it, it basically, since Ribery went down, you know, what was that, 2015? I mean, we've always been struggling to keep our wingers healthy, and just having... You know, the quality that we have there with Nabri, Coman, and Sané, and now, you know, the other players that we brought in, it's it's not really a huge concern at this point. And, you know, if you get four injuries on the wings, then, you know, you're probably screwed anyway. So I think it's a great signing. Like Maurice said, I mean, he's a fantastic talent. No one can deny what that guy is able to do, you know, with the ball, without it, taking on defenders. It's I, I see nothing bad about it yet. Yeah, I also agree with both viewpoints. I mean, it's kind of funny a bit because I was actually not that big a fan for many years of Leroy Sané. Like when he was playing for Schalke and the big rumors were starting to go for Bayern, Bayern buying him for 40 million or 50 million. I was actually a bit apprehensive of him. I thought he was always a bit overrated, just a bit like, yeah, he was 
He could get past people. He could score. He could cross, but 50 million, that, that seemed a bit much to me. Then he got into City, where he, where he really started to flourish under Pep Guardiola. And after that, I still thought that, yeah, he's a very good player, but still a bit maybe consistently missing. But the closer we got, or the, the more progressed through his City career, the more of a fan I became of his. Because I do think that he added new aspects to his game. He wasn't just this exciting player who could beat players, but he actually very consistently scored in big matches even. I remember him scoring mm -hmm. against, I think against Liverpool or, or practically scoring against Liverpool in the Champions League. With City going out and there was the league match, I think in the in City's 100-point season or 101-point season where he practically decided this tie. And I became a very big fan of his. I was not that excited of spending up to 100, like 30, 140 million euros on him but especially now with the well discount you have to say that's just basically a no-brainer because Bayern needed new signings on the wing Ivan Perisic was at times even excellent during the Champions League campaign but he was not the main for the future Kingsley Coman is notorious with his injuries even Serge Gnabry also has injury problems so we definitely needed a new signing yeah uh, I just wanted to add one thing uh, I think What you said about his ability to score goals is also a huge factor with Sané in terms of, you know, what we needed. Because Nabri obviously does score goals, but Coman very much is not a goal scorer. And, you know, even Costa now as our fourth winger is not a goal scorer really either. And so having someone besides Lewandowski and Nabri who can actually go in and you are not surprised when they score is, I think, a huge plus really. Yeah, I do think that. I think you can maybe say that Serge Gnabry is the most out-and-out -out striker of the wingers we have. And, yes. and King Sekoumar is the most out-and-out -out not striker of the bunch. The most crosser, the most assist giver. Mm -hmm. And Lira Sané is kind of in the middle between those two. He doesn't score as many goals as Serge Gnabry. He doesn't have the finish that Serge Gnabry has. But he is very much more of a, goal th uh, more of a threat in front of goal than Douglas Costa is, than King Sekoumar is. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to the next? Yeah, the next one is actually one we probably can't say that much about because it's Tanguy Nianzu from PSG. We signed him before the Champions League uh, re relaunched, so he was not in their squad in the final. Thomas Tuchel was actually very much very much unamused by Bayern signing him. He did, he did count on him, he did plan with him, but Bayern managed to convince him of a move to Bayern. Bayern signed a player which many talk about as a big talent as a centre-back, but I'm not so sure that we three can talk so much about him. Uh, I, don't, I cannot talk a lot about uh, him in uh, particular, but I just want to make the point that it shows that the whole scouting department at Bayern is doing a good job at focusing on players Who are who have expiring contracts and who fit into the general scheme of the team, and then they do a good job of showing those players a potential way for them to fit into the squad. And uh, that goes for Nianzu as well as it goes for for Nubel as well. And I think that is well, you know, like Bradzo Salihamidzic gets a lot of shit for, for lack of better term from from Bayern supporters all around the world but that actually shows that he has the future in mind and that he actually is on top of 
of those kind of things. And just speaking about that, it's it's a super low risk transfer. There are not really any strings attached. You get a like a first hand look at a player who has been dubbed a really yeah a, a big talent in this game. I think Ralph Rangnick recently said that he reminds him of players like Ubamecano, but that he's already at a higher level than Ubamecano at an earlier stage in his career. So. I mean, like I said, no strings attached, low risk transfers for free. I think that is that is a really, really good strategy to go to go forward. And you basically get a replacement for yeah, all the players like Martinez or Boateng when they actually leave the club. The only thing I would add is the little I've heard and know about Nyanza, because there's not a lot out there, but it sounds like he could almost end up being a somewhat direct replacement for Martinez, where it's it speculated that he could play somewhat as a six as well, which I think, you know, fits in with the type of players that Byron have really been looking for and bringing in recently. The players that are kind of multifunctional can fill in here or there. And, you know, it, it also increases the likeliness that he'll actually get game time somewhere if he can, you know, play multiple positions. So I thought that was an encouraging thing and you know bringing in players that are that young that are that talented he's already got a physique that i think looks like he could probably stand up to you know at least general bundesliga standards i mean that's it's encouraging so hopefully it works out yeah i do actually want to go back to one thing that you said maurice because i do think that the big will take away from the transfers maybe less so that zayahamicic actually knows all these players but that he very much listens to his scouts because I, for one, do not really think that that it was Hamicic who watched all these games of a Tanginian Zoo, of a young Alfonso Davies, and so on, but that he has Marco Neppe and his scouting assistants of Marco Neppe. And it is actually very much a quality that he does listen to them and that he doesn't just look for the big new signings, but he does listen to the scouts who do tell him of exciting new talents. Yeah, no, it is, yeah. it is very much of a team effort. And... I mean, that is also one of the advantages of not having a super strong manager like uh, Uli Hoeneß. Because I think, and obviously this is me speculating because I don't have any knowledge of how like transfers at Bayern are actually uh, made. But I, I mean, just like knowing Uli Hoeneß from like the person that he appears to be on, on television, he is not someone who would have been easily convinced by someone from the scouting department coming up to him and being like, hey, you know, there's like this player who's like sitting on the bench at, at Paris. Uh, maybe you give him a shot. I don't think that is like going to fly with Ulehenes. And so, like you said, that <laughs> speaks that speaks well of, of Salihamidzic that he actually has an open ear for the people who whose job is it to look specifically for those players. I actually don't think I necessarily agree with this point because I do think that for years Bayern were signing talents from foreign countries. But the problem was that maybe the scouting system was not that good because even under Uli Hoeneß, Bayern did sign like Jose Ernesto Sosa or like Julio Dos Santos or some of these players. But I think these signings, they came around because somebody at Bayern, maybe Joanna Elber or somebody, watched a few games, called Uli Hoeneß and told him, hey, this new player, he's excellent, he's good. Trust me, I know he's the big news thing. Which is in contrast to now maybe Marco Neppe, who doesn't watch just two or three games, but watches 30 games, 50 games, has assistants who, who watch these games, has these uh, databases where we do find these new Davises, this, these new Nianzus. 
And that's, I think, maybe the big new, tra not new takeaway necessarily, but this the difference between Bayern from the mid 2010s and now in 2020 to Bayern like 2003 or 2005. I, I think that's an important point, though, and not to get into Uli Honus rabbit hole, but, you know, like, I, I think you have to look at Uli Honus in two different lights, you know, pre jail time and post jail time, because when he came back, he I feel like the way he operated was very different than when you know, before he left, because it was very much more about doing things in the present as opposed to long term, in my opinion. Like, if you look at the things that Byron did, I don't think there was, I didn't see a huge amount of planning for the future and the youth players that they brought in or even, you know, a lot of the transfer signings. But maybe that's just my perception. Well, yeah, I absolutely agree. But I also think that maybe we shouldn't just also now open the big can of Uli Hoeneß. Because I think yeah, yeah, if we're yeah. going to talk about Uli Hoeneß, then this could be a very long night. It's a night. long career. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then after the signing of Tianjin Yanzu, well, Bayern won the cup. Bayern won this little thing called the Champions League. And we're not going to talk about this right now. Maybe we'll go back in like a few weeks or months to this whole Champions League tournament. And there were many rumors then in, in the last two days, two th or three days. So Hamicic went on a big shopping spree. And the first player he bought was a young Spanish player called Marc Roca from Espanyol Barcelona. That is, that is another player Bayern had pursued last season. So it seems like... Sajamicic like kept all his note sheets from from last transfer window ready to go for this season. He was again able to sign Mark Rocca at a huge discount. So last yeah, last year maybe all of you remember that Espanyol Barcelona wanted 40 million euros for him because that was his release clause. That was basically also reported to be non-negotiable. Now this summer after Espanyol Barcelona got relegated and went through, I think, like four coaches in one season. Uh, good job by those guys. They sold Mark Rocca to us for 9 million euros, which could go up to like 15 million euros, uh, including bonuses. And as always, those numbers are obviously speculated and are not reported as official numbers. But let's just take them for, for granted. So again, good job at getting Mark Rocca for this big discount because I think he still is the same player. I mean, Espanyol Barcelona got relegated, but I don't think that is really like his fault. Had something else to do with like Espanyol Barcelona going through four coaches in a season. But so Mark Rocca still has a huge upside. I think it was on display best at the U21 European Championship when he played just phenomenal for, for Spain. And he basically showed like his skill set and what he brings to the table, which is he's playing in defensive midfield. He's pretty good on the ball. I mean, not quite on Thiago levels, but I mean, who is? So yeah, he, he's just one more option to bring in as this defensive central midfielder where we don't really have anybody who fits this description besides Kimmich. And so it is really important to have another player to give Kimmich this rest and I think Mark Rocca is just an excellent replacement for him if he ever goes down I think we could also maybe see him alongside Kimmich in one or two matches and then have him maybe play the even a little bit more offensive role in that duo because there is a little bit of doubt on how he'll fare on defense I think that is also one of the reasons why Byron did not activate his release clause last summer at least that was reported I don't know what do you guys think uh, like, like I said for me that is after Sané, probably the best signing of the transfer window. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, mainly because with the way that they thinned out the midfield, it was getting to a point where Kimmich, like, if anything happened to him, they may as well just not even show up. I mean, the midfield was just... And not that he totally rectifies that, but at least if, you know, with the signing of... Uh, I forget his name already. <laughs> the, the right back that we got. Um, Sar? Bonasar. Yeah, Sar. Sorry. <laughs> um, with the signing of Are him... Are you sorry if, about that? <laughs> I am a little sorry about that. But I do think now that if Pavard or Kimmich gets hurt, it at least makes things more stable. You don't have to completely, you know, adjust the way that you're playing in a ridiculous way. I don't know... I, <laughs> Again, I haven't probably seen enough Mark Rocha to really know I'm going mainly on what people have talked about, but at least fill in well enough to, you know, provide reasonable cover and not put the team in any significant way. Of course, you always miss a Kimmich, but it doesn't matter regardless who it is that's backing him up. I mean, you can't have... Not everyone's Tiago, you know, so... Yeah, I also agree that Mark Roca is by far the most exciting signing that we did in the last, well, two, three days. With the exception of maybe a young talent that, we, that we'll be speaking about soon. But when it comes for the first team football, I am more excited about him than I am about Chupamuting, Costa and Saar. I think that there are two aspects that I want to stress with Roca. First, I am very, very happy that we have another ball-playing midfielder. Because without Thiago, it was getting extremely thin to basically non-existing. We had Leon Goretzka, Corentin Tolisot, and Javi Martinez, who can play in midfield, who can't really do this passing, who can't build up play. And I think the whole Bayern administration, or the board, they very much saw this again this season already against Hoffenheim, I think. Yeah, it was Hoffenheim, where Hansi Flick decided to, that in the second half, to put Jozo Kimmich back at right back and to put in Leon Gretzka and Corentin Tresot in midfield. And that basically killed the entire game because nobody was there to build up play. And this just showed everybody and hopefully also the higher-ups that we absolutely needed a new ball-playing midfielder. What I do think is also very much interesting about Rokas, or maybe a bit confusing even, that for so long, nobody signed him. When the rumors emerged again that Bayern was interested in Roca, I was almost like surprised that people still came for him. Because for the entire summer, things were quiet, so quiet even that I started to wonder that maybe he would also go down to the second division and maybe his star wasn't as bright as people thought he was two years ago. But now in the last few days, what I think happened with Roca was that Espanyol Barcelona counted on Atletico Madrid signing him, but because they didn't know when party would be sold, they hold out hope. And in the end, Bayern came through and managed to get him before Atletico did their deal. And I think that very much is a testament to Sayamish's job he made with the Roca transfer because probably if he would have waited another day maybe even then he would maybe be in a bidding war with Atletico Madrid and then these nine plus six million that, we, that we're talking about this up to 50 million would very much would very quickly I think emerge to 25 million to uh, to 30 million even so I do think that this whole transfer is very much a testament to the amateur's job he did this summer that is a good point but on the other hand why did he not sign him earlier 
Like, why was not why wasn't Mark Rocker signed right after the departure of Thiago, which happened like one and a half months earlier? That would be my own only counterpoint to that. As somewhat ridiculous as it sounds, I think a lot of it was that they wanted to sell more players before they bought other players. And it's ridiculous in the standpoint that they have a lot of money in the bank. They could have easily done it earlier. But I think the fiscal conservatism at Bayern is so strong that they were just like, no, we're not going to buy anyone else until we've at least made money somewhere else. In the beginning, I thought that this was more down to Bayern's fiscal conservatism, but now I actually shifted towards thinking that it was more down to Espanyol Barcelona, because Espanyol wanted to sell him last year for 40 million, and I'm sure that they were desperate for a bidding war to emerge, just like it emerged with Serginho Dest. So when that didn't happen, and it looked like they would be still sitting on Roca in the second division, which they could not afford because they needed the money, they then sold him in the last three days. And my speculation is that maybe he was already in contact with Roca, and he did secure him basically told him that yeah we will sign you if nobody's coming but he didn't want to wait for Espanyol Barcelona to then tell Atletico Madrid to come into a bidding war so I actually think that's more down to clever transfer strategy from Bayern interesting The only thing that kind of surprises me, and I'm, you're probably right, you're closer to it than I am. I just, most of the time you hear rumors, like, I feel like these teams all use the media to, you know, kind of stir things up and increase transfer rates. And I don't really remember hearing a whole lot about him this year, just apart until we signed him, basically. So, but maybe that's just because I'm not looking in the right places, too. So, no, those rumors, they didn't exist. It was basically dead when it, comes, when it came to Bayern signing new midfielders or new ball playing midfielders. And nobody was talking about the It was very much in these last three days that, oh, Bayern are interested in Roca and oh, Bayern already signed Roca. Yeah, it happened so quickly, it seemed like, but I'm sure there's a lot more to it behind the scenes. Luis, do you want to add something or we'll go to the next signing? I think I think you basically covered all of it. We've seen the structural issues that Bayern has without a ball-playing midfielder, and he totally fills that void. And I'm super excited to see him play for Bayern. I'm a big fan of this signing, as I already said. And yeah, I think we can move on to the next signing. Yeah, one last thing about Roca. Actually, what I'm also very excited we have finally a new left-footed midfielder because all these midfielders that Bayern have they're all playing with the right feet Joshua Kimmich Yanzu, Leon Goreska Torisso continue last season and with the exception of James it has been very long that Bayern actually had a left-footed midfielder and that's very exciting to me so the next player that Bayern signed was a very surprising signing for many people including myself that is hot after the heels of a very turbulent career in Mainz Hamburg Schalke Stoke City and Paris Saint-Germain Bayern signed the legend himself Eric Maxime Choupo-Moting for no transfer fee. What are your thoughts on him? I could not have seen that coming. I think in our Mirsan Road. Oh no, actually it was it was on Twitter. I saw an article by Bayern side and I don't remember whether it was Bavarian Tweets or Bavarian Football Works. I and mean, I'm sorry that I don't know who of those guys put it out there. But there was an article saying, hey, Bayern should sign Eric Maxime Chupomoting. And then out of nowhere, this rumor just like started to actually like spread on Twitter, like not related to the article. And then by the end of the day, Bayern signed, signed Chupo Muting. Um, so yeah, no, that kind of came out of nowhere. It's really interesting because the career of, of him has just been, yeah, uh, as you said, it's been a roller coaster. There's a super fun fact about him, and that is that throughout his entire career, the entire transfer fee that had been paid for him is like 50,000 euros if you like add up all of them, because he basically always went on like free transfers at the end of his contract. So that is that is like a mind-boggling fact. 
Now, if we're talking about the player, I think we're getting a really versatile player. Like, uh, Chupu Mating can, like, fill all roles up front. He's obviously a backup to Robert Lewandowski. Uh, he can play, like, the as, like, the number nine striker. But he can also fill in on the wings or even as, like, kind of like the Thomas Müller role, if you interpret it, like, uh, really offensively. So he's a versatile player. He can help, and that'll be necessary because the schedule for the new season is really tightly packed. There are a lot of matches to be played. And so he can give those players a little bit of rest. And also a really important point is that he seems to be a really important locker room guy. Thomas Tuchel has mentioned numerous times that he brought together the locker room at Paris Saint-Germain. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to him doing that same thing at Bayern or like not, because the Bayern locker room seems to be pretty close already, to be honest. But I mean, he's he can just be another piece in that puzzle and just making sure that everybody yeah is, is happy in the team and with his role in the squad. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree. I am probably more excited about this than I should be in a way, considering that, I mean, as Maurice and everybody else knows, is he's a backup to, like Maurice said, multiple positions. But having a player that can be a good locker room guy is a good teammate. And from my experience watching him also brings a lot of energy to the field. I like it. I think it's a great signing. I mean, you need some veteran guys that are okay, not, you know, that they they're going to go out there and work and they want to play but also understand that they're probably not the first option at this point in their career and having someone like that who is still able to actually bring some of the qualities that he does and you know help the team to gel and or at least not you know make things worse is a huge bonus to me and you know this is the first time since Sandro Wagner that we've had a player to actually back up Robert Lewandowski which is a huge thing and having someone that can do that that is not rely you know strictly just a striker is a huge it's a huge bonus i i know i'm kind of dismissing xerxy here but you know and i don't intend that as a slight on him he's a very good player but he's still very young and so playing him in you know very big games is not a huge option whereas you know it may not be ideal but playing Chupamotang in a champions league game if that's the one thing that we have to do yes we're still obviously a much worse team without robert Lewandowski, but it's less of a hit I feel like as opposed to you know either playing Muller there which is probably what would happen or you know playing Xerxes for 45 minutes until they decide that Muller has to play there yeah for me is the classic attacking all-rounder he can play every position in the final third he can play on the wing he can play as a number 10 and as a center forward which is why I'm a bit confused why everybody in the media just out and out called him the Lewandowski backup because I think he's very much more on that and with how Fitch Lewandowski mostly is I think Chupomoting will get the most minutes on all the position but the center forward position mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because Chupomoting when we did sign him was very much baffled by this whole ordeal but the more time progressed the more I think it makes sense because like because there is nothing you could lose on a free transfer and he can play every position and with the basically hundreds of games Bayern has to play the season this is very much a, a very intelligent signing I'm actually baffled that Paris didn't give him a new contract for this season because I think they could also well use him because he was playing a big role in the Champions League in the knockout phase for them so it's a bit surprising to me 
Also, yeah, with the point I, that you made about Chupo Moting being a versatile player, if he comes on and if he should actually end up replacing Robert Lewandowski, we would actually field also really versatile offense because Gnabry, Sané, him and also Müller could like rotate around a bunch and we could see all of those players playing numerous positions throughout the match and making it much harder for the defense to adjust to our offense because it would be like ever-changing and that would be obviously a benefit of having him in there next to Gnabry who's also featured as the number nine striker uh, next to Sané who's also played a few games at least in that role and yeah that could be like a possible new yeah just a little tweak to our offense that could make us just yeah just a little bit more flexible a little bit more dangerous for the opposition. Yeah, and as Mark alluded to, one thing that also comes together with this new transfer of Chupomoting is a non-transfer. Because contrary to reports, Joshua Zirkse was actually not loaned out on the last day, on deadline day, and he's still at Bayern Munich. How do you feel that Zirkse now has basically two center forwards to fight against and that he was not loaned out to Feyenoord Rotterdam or PSV Eindhoven? I feel like he it would have been better for him to have been loaned out. I still have a feeling that like in Bundesliga games or something like that, I don't think in uh, Pokal or the Champions League, but I do think especially in Bundesliga games, if Lewandowski isn't starting, there is a chance that he will still be the first option. I do think it'll probably continue sort of like the last year where it's like if things aren't going that great after 45 minutes, 50 minutes, he may get a early pull, but I don't think this is definitely like the end of his you know chances to play at Bayern I think there's also you know he I know he, I saw an interview he mentioned that you know he may leave in the winter transfer window as, as well on the loan or something like that which is it wouldn't surprise me if Bayern did that but I don't think it's necessarily like the end of his you know time at Bayern you know in terms of this season yeah I do think that it's basically an almost non-brainer transfer in the winter that Zirkse will go to some Dutch side or maybe German side, some, some German side that needs a new center forward. I do think that while Flick rates Zirkse, it also has become pretty apparent that he doesn't completely trust him. Because when you look at the game against Sevilla in the UEFA Super Cup, he didn't put him on when the game was still 1-1. He didn't put him on in the, in the 95th minute or in the 90th minute, but he did wait a long time for him to put him on or even maybe didn't put him on at all. Not, not completely certain on that one. So it's... It's pretty apparent that Bayern needed a new player, but I also hope that Zirkse will find a new club in winter to then go and and have half a season or maybe one and a half season of good, consistent game time. Mm-hmm. Maurice, do you have something to add on Zirkse? If you don't, then we're going to be talking about Bruno Saar. I, I can just add a little bit about the impressions that he's left uh, so far this season. I mean, it's just been a continuation of what we've seen from last season talking about Xerxes right here. He he really struggles to be the kind of physical presence up front that Robert Lewandowski obviously is. And it's, it is so unfair to compare a young player to, I mean, what is currently the world's greatest striker. But he lacks a little bit of physical presence and that makes it hard for him to be the player who's like receiving long balls from Neuer and then passing them along to his teammates because that is a role that Lewandowski takes on quite often in the flick system where he, he like receive a long ball and then pass it to someone else and then they like play a long vertical ball following Lewandowski's kind of like control of the ball and Cerksey cannot do that just yet but he also has shown in games especially in the Hoffenheim game that he certainly has skills 
uh, both with the ball and without the ball. He's made some smart movements and he created one or two good chances for himself and for his teammates. So I don't see him as a lost cause just yet. Like you both said, it would really benefit him greatly if he gets to go on a loan starting in January. And that is the good thing, obviously, about this season, that he's not going to waste half of a year, but he's actually just going to waste like maybe those two or three months, and then he gets to go out on a loan. Because the, the, we just talked about the end of the transfer window, but the new beginning of the next transfer window is just around the corner starting in January. So it's actually not that, that long of a time. Yeah, so the the next signing that Bayern did was Bonosar, and that's actually the end of a very long quest of Bayern's to find a backup right back. I remember even in January, there were many rumors of a new backup on the right back position. In the end, Bayern signed Alvaro Odriozola, who didn't really leave that much of an impression. Then after many rumors of Serginho Dest, a bidding war with Ajax Amsterdam and Barcelona, Rumors of the right back of Brighton, the right back of Norwich City. In the end, Bayern signed a right back from Olympique Marseille. And I'll be the first to admit that while I did watch maybe like three, five games of Bonosar where he was on the pitch, I never paid much attention to the right back of Marseille. And I'm not so sure that you'll be that different from me. Am I correct? Yup. No, I I have to agree. I did I did not really pay attention to him. I, he was not on my radar at all. So yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him be the solution at right back that Bratzo brought in. But it definitely was a position of need. It kind of feels like a like a signing that Bratzo felt like he needed to do because otherwise, like German media would be pondering him on why he did not sign a right back, as it's just been an obvious area where Bayern needed another player. Um, so he comes in now. Based on the stuff that I read, he started his career as a right winger, actually, and then got moved to right back in the last two to three years. So he is kind of a little bit more offensive-minded. He's really a player, but also struggles to contribute a lot on offense. I think he only had six or seven assists in the last seven seasons, which is, well, not really a lot. I mean, Kimmich does that in half of a season, obviously for, for a different team and in a different scheme. But yeah, it'll be it'll be really exciting to see the the role that he takes on and he he joins the team as a clear backup for Pavard and I know Daniel you you kind of hoped that Bayern would sign a player who could challenge Pavard right yeah absolutely it's I'm a bit in a, in a weird spot with Benjamin Pavard because on the one hand I think he's incredibly underrated like people just think he's a center back who's playing on the right and he doesn't contribute to anything but I think he's very important Bayern at times is basically playing a back three with Pavard and he's very good in passing not so much in the Jerome Boateng department where he makes these long 50 meter passes but he's very important in breaking the press of the opponent very much getting the ball to Kimmich to last season to Thiago to Goretzka so on the one hand I think he's very much underrated especially because he's not so much of an attacking threat in terms of his dribbling skills but very much of a goal threat and even a threat when it comes to crosses But still, Pavard's not exactly Alfonso Davies. He's not exactly in a position where I think that Bayern absolutely needs to just back him up. I think Bayern would benefit if somebody was there to push Pavard to new heights. Because, let's be honest, nobody expected Pavard to be the right back of the season, of Bayern's last season. People expected Kimmich to play there. But in the end, Pavard played the whole time. And I do think that, especially in the first half of the season, the prospect of Kimmich coming back and pushing Pavard out of the team was very much pushing Pavard then to new heights. So I'm not exactly that well satisfied with the solution of an out-and-out backup to Pavard. 
Yeah, I can definitely see that point. I mean, Pavard has done a fantastic job. I think we all can agree on that. I mean, and as you said, he definitely is underrated. I think people just kind of take for granted the fact that he's back there and doing reasonably well. Personally, I kind of am okay with Sar as the backup. He, In terms of, just from the standpoint of, I feel like he could potentially be a guy kind of like Rafinha where, you know, you don't really expect a ton of from him, but, you know, he slots in every once in a while and does okay. It doesn't solve the problem that you're talking about, about pushing Pavard or, you know, really putting, I mean, depending on, you know, what else happens, you know, having a ton of security at right back, really, because I'm still not 100% sure that if Pavard were to get injured, that Sar for sure would be the right back in big games. I still think there's a chance that that's gimmick, especially now that Roca came in and, you know, some of the other players that, that are available. I... I don't know. I'm I'm not totally convinced that this is a great signing. I'm not sure that it's a bad signing. It seems kind of in the middle to me. And like you said, probably partially as a, hey, at least we now have an option there. And also, you know, I don't get crap from the media. But who knows? He could surprise the hell out of us, too. I, I, I don't know enough about the guy to really say one way or another. You know, I'm going based on statistics and a few YouTube videos, but, you know. Yeah, I'll be honest. I do very much think that this is Pratso's last bullet in the culture. I think it was your metaphor, Maurice, that you were using of him just saying, okay, I didn't get Dest. All the other right backs are too expensive, so I'll just buy this new right back of Marseille. And so nobody will tell me that you did a poor job. As it comes to your Rafinha comparison, Mark, I'm not that happy with it because I think people just, when when people think about Rafinha, they think about the Rafinha of the old age. I mean, of the, of the last season where he was really just a backup. But actually, when Bayern signed Rafinha, they signed him as the first choice right back in, in 2012 or in 2011. And he just progressed into a backup position because Alaba was so exciting, because Laum, of course, moved back to right back and so on. But Bayern didn't scout Rafinha as a backup. He just evolved into a backup. And that's a bit of a different thing to SAR, in my opinion. No, no, I, I agree with that. And I meant solely as, you know, an older Rafinha. I'm talking Rafinha the last two or three years. I'm not talking about Rafinha, you know, 2012 type of time frame. Like, I, I definitely think Rafinha was a much bigger talent. It's just more like they haven't had anyone really to back up on the wings, you know, in the last two seasons since Rafinha left. And that's, I feel like that's problematic. And maybe this at least solves that to some degree. Yeah. One last aspect of Sar that I also found a bit surprising. They actually gave him a four-year contract, which surprised me a bit because if Sar is not as convincing as many people already expect him to be, Bayern might be sitting on a player that they themselves don't really rate that highly. And so maybe next season we'll be having three right-backs and Sar will have to be loaned out on something. So I'm also not that sure if we absolutely had to give him a four-year contract. That's maybe a topic for a different day. So... The last signing of the transfer deadline day was a player that we all still remember. It was Douglas Costa that Bayern bought for, I think it was 30 million in 2015. Then two years later, sold for 46 million. And now, while still on contract at Juventus Turin, Bayern got him back for free. And they only have to pay his salary. So, how shocked were we that Bayern was again interested in him? And do we like the signing? That seems to be another signing that just came out of nowhere. I mean, there were no rumors about Costa's return, or at least none of them that made it to my Twitter feed. But I I have to say, the first game that Douglas Costa played for Bayern, 
being that slashing off Hamburg in 2015 was one of the games that got me the most excited about a player we've signed that I can remember. I mean, it is right up there with probably Arjen Robben playing against Wolfsburg in 2010 or Ribéry playing against Bremen in 2007. Just the sheer level of excitement for the player, the things that he brought to the table. I think when he played for Bayern, he played a phenomenal first half of the season. Then he tailed off a lot. And I mean, he never really seemed to live up to the hype that he kind of created around himself in the beginning. He turned out to be, let's call it, challenged in finding the best solution in front of the goal. Sometimes playing ill-advised crosses, sometimes losing the ball in the most horrible situations possible, sometimes shooting out of situations that you really don't want a player to take a shot. And it all kind of like ended with him and a horrible performance playing against Real Madrid in uh, 2016 in the Champions League. And I mean, if you're watching NBA basketball, he kind of played a little bit like uh, Paul George in the in the NBA playoffs. Um, like, <laughs> not really not performing, not like showing any initiative and just totally dodging the game. So... I was glad when he left, when we sold him for that amount of money. Now we get him back for free. We get him back with him knowing that he'll be the fourth winger in the rotation. And I'm kind of excited again, I have to say, because I know about his strengths and I really hope we get to see them. And as a number four winger, he'll be that change of pace person. We have to remember that in I think all of the competitions, we still get to substitute five players a game. Uh, and that means if everybody's healthy, we can go through a game starting out with Sané and Gnabry on the wings. And then after 70 minutes, just be like, okay, we take out those two and we bring in Komen and Costa. And oh my God, that, that is so much speed on the wings. Like after 70 minutes of defenders having to fight Sané and Gnabry, they now have to deal with another 20 minutes of fresh Komen and Costa. That is a lot to handle for for opponents' defenses, and I'm kind of excited faster. to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm totally on board with that. Like, I, I think a lot of our and the Bayern fan base in general, a lot of our perception of this uh, of Costa's time in uh, at Bayern is shaded by number one the expectations. I mean, you know, they him and Coman were kind of presented as the you know heirs to Robin and Ribery, and that's a lot to live up to and probably an unfair expectation on practically anyone and so he had like Marie said he had a pretty exciting first half of the year which kind of increased those expectations and then slowly just decreased and became forgotten in a way except for you know noticeably how he wasn't living up to those expectations and then you know Uli Honus's comments you know when he left certainly didn't help anything and I think a lot of people remember those and think you know that he wasn't a good fit in the locker room that people didn't like him that he had you know a lot of problems and stuff like that and I'm not sure how much that it's actually true but as Maurice said you know this this is now a very different situation he is not expected to start he is expected to be the fourth guy and as the fourth guy and he him knowing he's the fourth guy I think it's a great signing I was 
surprised by it in a way because I kind of assumed when we signed Chopomotang that he was kind of that all-purpose replacement guy that would kind of fill in maybe similarly to a Perisic. And so I didn't expect another winger. And then, you know, a couple hours later, it's like, oh, they're we're getting Douglas Costa as well. And then, so I was actually kind of taken aback by it. I think that those two players, while not like the most exciting players or necessarily, you know, you think they're going to make the hugest difference overall, they bring a lot to the table as, you know, third or fourth options in a lot of different, well, you know, on the wings and Chupamotang's case, a lot of different positions. But like, I don't really, it, there's seems to be a lot of backlash on this one. I'm not sure why, but I'm actually kind of excited about it uh, for the reasons that Maurice said. Yeah, the Gossa deal is very weird to me because at first when the rumors emerged, I very much didn't like it because I didn't really like Douglas Costa, the way he behaved the last year. His performance against Real Madrid, as Maurice said, was very much was basically disgraceful. Like, I can deal with bad performances, but that was just very much, I don't want to play. And it's like, you're in the Champions League quarterfinal. How can you not play in the Bernabeu? But then as details emerged and it was clear that Bayern doesn't pay a dime to Juventus Turin, then Bayern basically only has to, well, pay his salary. And thus Bayern basically pays the same money that they were paying for Ivan Peric last year for one season of Douglas Costa. It actually, the deal became better and better as more details came through. When it comes to Costas, you you already mentioned that every team can now substitute five players, and that very much helps Costa. I still remember a different game against Real Madrid when Costa was already sold, that I sometimes still have nightmares about. It was Jupp Heynckes game against Real Madrid, and Bayern's bench was so thin in the last five minutes when Bayern still had to score a goal. Jupp Heynckes was forced to play Javi Martinez on the wing, and it was a complete disaster. So it's, it's very good to now, to now have... Lira Sané, Serge Gnabry, Choupo-Moting, Douglas Costa, Jamal Musiala and Kingsley Coman for the wings. I think we will see very much all of them play, all of them get minutes. And now that Costa knows where he's at, that he's only a lone player, I think this will help his attitude. And if for nothing else, Costa was actually very good in his first season at Juventus Turin. So if there's maybe a pattern and he's very good in the first half year, it's now October, so the first half year, if Costa is great in the, in the first half year of his second Bayern term, we'll probably win the championship. So eh, pretty good deal to me. And also one more thing, if we are talking about his, like the expectations for him. When he came in 2015, he came as the heir apparent to Riveri and Robin. And that is just, I mean, such a heavy burden to shoulder. This year he comes in, there's little expectations tied to his name and he can play freely. Uh, and I think that could also help him a ton. Yeah, in a way, this was the last transfer, but then we had a new Apple transfers because Bayern actually, on the day of the official deadline day, Bayern actually signed another player, but they signed him for the youth team for Bayern FC Bayern 2. In a very interesting circumstances, Bayern signed Thiago Dantas, a 19-year-old midfielder from Benfica Lissabon. And something that emerged in the days after this transfer was that actually it was Hansi Flick who knew the player, who has known the player for now six years, who saw the player when he was 13 years old in 2014 and immediately rated him, immediately thought that he was an exciting talent and always kept asking Benfica how Dantas was doing. Bayern will now at first play him in the second team, but I think it's, the expectation is very clear to everybody that he should be getting eventually a chance in the first team. What are your thoughts on this transfer? 
I've I've not seen him play any games, but I've chatted with Justin and I read his articles on Jago Dantes. And Justin is an author for our German website, and he's watched a couple of his games in the Youth Champions League. And he's also spoken with other people who are involved and watch a lot of European soccer. And he is crazily in love with Thiago Dantes. He sees enormous potential in the player and that kind of gets me really excited about him as well. I think he could be or he could end up stealing some of those minutes in midfield on the first team as well. It'll be interesting to see whether they'll only play him in the first team or whether he will also feature in the second team for like a little while. But yeah, no, I'm kind of excited. I myself, like I said, I have not seen any games of his, but just the stuff that you've read about him seems like is enough for me to look forward to seeing him on the pitch wearing that red jersey yeah yeah i mean i'm kind of in the same boat i haven't seen much of anything except for a few youtube videos after we signed him and you know those are not the best way to judge players obviously so i can only go off of what people who are more knowledgeable than me say and it sounds like he's an incredible talent i'm i'm not exactly sure how we got him from benfica given that i don't see them as a club that generally sells their players very easily but i'm glad that they did hopefully you know he works out the main thing that kind of stuck out to me um just seeing a little bit is his size which is he's very very small i was very surprised by how he kind of reminds me of uh coutinho in terms of physique in a way except for maybe even a little bit skinnier which is almost incredible but uh, i'm excited to see what he can do i mean uh, he is supposed to be a great talent so that's all i can say yeah his physique is definitely the big point of worry for i think everybody because you're comparing him to coutinho my comparison would actually be more of a failed talent called Gianluca Gordino, who was very uh, much yeah who very much had talent on the ball, who could pass, who could cross. That was all excellent, but he absolutely did not have the physique for the first team, for professional football even. And Coutinho and Thiago, yes, they are small, they are kind of nimble, but they absolutely do have the body for professional football to withstand a challenge and so on. With Thiago Dantas, I actually do worry that he will fail because his body just isn't made up for it. Because usually all these 18-year-olds, yes, they are 18, but you look at them and they look like 20-year-olds. They look like 22-year-olds. Like I remember Mbappé when he was like 17, he looked like a 20-year-old. But Thiago Dantas, he is 19, but he looks like a 16-year-old and he has the body of a like 15-year-old. And yeah, the big thing for him will definitely be, can he juice up? Like not to the point of where he becomes Leon Goretzka, but he absolutely, he should be at least somewhere in the ballpark of Thiago's body that Thiago had when he came to Bayern. Thiago's body also changed over time, but when he came in 2013, he absolutely was a professional football player, and Thiago Dantas really doesn't really have that right now going for him. Yeah, I always think of Thiago as being much bigger than Thiago, the, this Thiago Dantas. I, I, I mean, especially now, I mean, he is actually pretty wide in a way if you look at him. But Coutinho, I just, Coutinho stuck out to me because there was so much made last year about Byron having to get him a youth jersey to play, you know, the first few games or whatever. So it just seemed like a reasonable comparison just because of how, like, but yeah, he's, de Coutinho is probably a much better comparison. I mean, he's just so small that it just looks like a strong wind is going to blow him over. I mean, it, I I assume that he has more strength than that, or I'm not sure how he would have even made it this far, but he's definitely got to put on at least some weight at some point. You mean Dantas now, right? Yes, yes, Dantas. Yeah, I mean, 
he was playing against 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, and 17-year-olds. It's not surprising to me that he was perfectly fine with not having the body for professional football. But now he should absolutely getting a few more pounds of, of muscle mass in. And maybe that is where playing for the second team of Bayern could come in really handy because the third division in German football is a really physical uh, league. Uh, a lot of a lot of the teams kind of like play this defensive approach with like like harder tacklings with just just a war more physical way of playing and maybe that kind of helps him to get used to it like maybe to get like overexposed to this level of physical play and that might help his development and i mean certainly bayern seems to have the staff the knowledge and the the practice to get him into a more to, to change his physique to get him To, to like build more muscles and if himself thinks that it is important and if he, if he has the right work ethic i don't think that'll be that'll be a problem yeah yeah i think yeah we basically we basically said everything about Thiago Dantas with exception maybe that you mark you were asking how Benfica could sell this very exciting very big talent i think that's down to the fact that or basically i read that Benfica they are kind of in turmoil right now because they lost mm. the title against Porto basically in the last three or four games and then a new coach came through the coach that actually won the Copa Libertadores with Flamenco with Rafinha last season And mm. that new coach, that he's a legend at Benfica, so everybody loves him because he got them to two Europa League finals. But he also very much is a coach who doesn't rate talent that much, who doesn't like to develop players, mm. who likes these ready-made players. So that's what Benfica this season, they spent big, they, they came to Freiburg, got the German international Luca Waldschmidt. But then kind of they loaned out, I think it's Vinicius to Tottenham, and now they loaned out Thiago Dantas. And they very much did that because at the end of the day, they do have money problems because I think they very much were counting on qualifying for the Champions League. But despite mm. all these, all the new signings, they lost to Saloniki. I think it was Saloniki, a Greek team, in the Champions League qualifying. And that's why they're now in the Europa League when everybody knows there is basically no money in the Europa League. So mm. in these last three, four days, they sold a bunch of players. And I think that's the reason why Bayern got this exceptional deal with Thiago Dantas. Because I think either way, nobody's reported that Bayern has spent any money on the loan fee. And if Thiago Dantas is half as talented as people are making him out to be, then a buyout option for seven and a half million, eight million, eight and a half million, that's, that's basically nothing. That's a steal. I mean, everybody still laughs about the eight and a half million that we paid Stuttgart for Joshua Kimmich, or Leipzig, in Leipzig, yeah. for Joshua Kimmich. Right. Because that's just his value is now more than ten times that much. And Dantas, he, yeah. he has the potential to completely fail in all aspects because of his body, but he also he has the potential to be the signing of the transfer window. Sure. Yeah. So that's basically it about the transfers. Bayern did sell a few players, but I think we don't really have to talk about them right now. Originally, we wanted to also preview the remaining season. The Champions League group stage, the Bundesliga, and possibly the the FIFA World Cup. Uh, not World Cup, but Club World Cup. But we'll be leaving this to do that maybe next time. So I think we'll be calling it today for now. I hope you love it. I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. It was the first podcast in over two years. Thank you yeah. for your time, Maurice and Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like Daniel already said, we're excited to have the podcast back on. 
I think the first episode was a little bit rusty, but we're working on shaking that off. And yeah, we, we'll be back hopefully with a season preview. Let us know what you think of the episode in the comments or also on Twitter or um, on the on the iTunes reviews. And we'll be sure to have a have a look into that and then work that into the podcast as we go. Uh, yeah, so that's all I have to say. It was a pleasure and see you next time yeah uh, same here i think uh you know we'll we're, we're working on it and i think you know we got kind of into the swing of things as we went along but you know i think we'll get better and have a little bit more structure so stick with us and you know looking forward to keeping this going and having the podcast uh, be a real thing again <laughs> yeah yeah thank you for listening any technical issues that might emerge probably on my side it's down to my inexperience i'm pretty sure that Things will be better in the next episodes. So for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.